hello, and welcome again to the Radio Gaga podcast. I'm your host, Justine Pajowski, and today's episode is all about New York-based dance rock band LCD Sound System and their second studio album, Sound of Silver. First, let's acknowledge our main sources for this episode. I read the 33 and a third book on Sound of Silver, written by Ryan Lees, as well as Lizzie Goodman's Meet Me in the Bathroom. I also listened to Stephen Hyden's Celebration Rock podcast with Lizzie Goodman and watched Shut Up and Play the Hits, the 2012 documentary on LCD Sound System directed by Will Loveless and Dylan Southern. Lastly, I read Chuck Klosterman's 2010 piece for The Guardian, as well as LA Weekly, Rolling Stone, and a number of other sources I'll mention throughout the episode. An extra big thank you goes out to my guest for this episode, Jerry Bell. I recently met Jerry through my friend Neil, who you'll remember from my Incubus episode. I had just been talking about how much I wish I could talk to someone who was a little more familiar with LCD sound system than me, and Neil came in with the save and introduced me to Jerry we ended up having a great conversation. There's something about LCD Sound System that's innately New York. The vibe, the sound, the lyrics. LCD Sound System is a New York band. Someone like me, who's only visited New York City a small handful of times, can listen to LCD from anywhere and still appreciate them as great dance punk. But I feel like I can only get 90% of the way there. The remaining 10%, perhaps unintentionally, feels like it's reserved for New Yorkers. I've never lived in New York. I've never learned the subway system. I understand the city's importance in our culture, but haven't been part of its story in any way. LCD Sound System, Interpol, Yeah Yeah Yeahs, The Strokes, they all came to prominence specifically out of the early 2000s scene in New York City. I listen to all of these bands, but there's something different about LCD Sound System. It's more mature, I guess more New York than anything I've ever heard. And there's an underlying feeling of exclusivity to that. It's a little bit like if you're a New Yorker, you know. If you're not, you don't. Maybe I'm projecting, and it definitely hasn't kept me away from LCD Sound System or changed how I feel about the music. And surely anyone else who isn't from New York shouldn't feel alienated from this band. I just like being able to recognize when a band's sound is so unique to a specific location that it feels like the people of that place get first dibs on it, or something like that. That's really why when I was putting this episode together, I felt like it would be good to get a New Yorker's perspective on this whole thing. Jerry has lived in New York for 12 years and is a huge LCD Sound System fan. Yeah, they've been, a, I would say, a very important band to me uh, in a lot of reasons, like kind of one of those bands that forms the vision I had of New York city before I even got here. And then, you know, various times and various things that I've done in my life have like intersected with, you know, the end of their kind of first run. And then the beginning of their second run kind of coincided with 
different points in my life. They're kind of one of a handful of bands that I feel like they're, the, the music that they were dropping always kind of seemed to hit me at the right time. And, and then obviously like kind of combining two genres of music that I really, really like. Um, so it's just kind of a perfect, perfect band in that sense. kind of like downtown lower Manhattan vision of a grungy New York by the time I got here it kind of already become the commercialized version of it you know getting here and kind of first starting to explore like what it what it meant to like go out to to see shows in New York City like I was always kind of looking for you know that kind of like type of lower Manhattan that you would see like in the background of like a strokes video for instance I was like a probably I was obviously a little too young and definitely not cool enough to be kind of part of the the like scene where this music was like coming out so, but it was funny to be slightly detached from it and like reading about it on music blogs and things like that this is like the beginning of like the you know the internet and how that relates to music which was kind of interesting for me because like listening to losing my edge where you know 90 percent of the the references i never heard of but i could kind of quickly flip over to like limewire or whatever and like download a can song or download like a liquid liquid song just because i'd like heard the reference like being able to like use talk use LC sound system as an, an an entree into like new types of new music, new types of new genres, you know, underground music that I never even kind of heard of before. Like very easy to attribute my current kind of music taste to listening to this at at age eighteen and which is like such a formidable formidable time in someone's life for for kind of like finding new art, I would say. The first time I ever saw them live was actually one of the shows in the lead up to their kind of Madison square garden um, finale. And so, you know, my, you know, kind of coming to LCD sound system was funny because I was already kind of uh, basically knowing that I was, was kind of coming to something that was already kind of over, which I think is like, you know, it's kind of part of their entire mystique, right? Like, you know, the, the, the closing track on, on sound of silver, New York, I love you, but you bring me down. Like that song like is basically, and a number of other songs on kind of on this album are like totally all about like the end of the party or, um, you know, thinking back on a party that is like kind of winding down and trying to either, you know, reconcile with moving on or, or make the most of it and kind of like squeeze all the last drops out. You can hear the nostalgia for like an older New York that I never knew about, but it was kind of like voyeuristic for me, like being like, oh, yeah, this is like a party that I never got to go to, but it like sure looked fun from far away. James Murphy was making music long before LCD Sound System. In fact, he was already in his 30s when LCD's debut single, Losing My Edge, came out in 2002. He was 37 by the time they released Sound of Silver, 
As Chuck Klosterman points out when he's interviewing Murphy in the documentary, if you're a writer, you're still too young. If you're an actor, you're in your sweet spot. But for rock stars, you're supposedly too old. Why is that? Murphy grew up in the suburban Northeast and moved to New York in 1989 to study at NYU. He spent the next 10 years or so with his hands in a lot of different artistic endeavors, mostly musical. He played in bands including Falling Man, Pony, and Speed King. I've never heard of any of them, and assume unless you know a lot about James Murphy, you might not either. To add to his mystique, James Murphy was famously offered the opportunity to write for the TV show Seinfeld, but he turned it down. He did sound engineering work for a number of projects, including on David Holmes' Bow Down to the Exit Sign, which is where he would meet future LCD Sound System member Tim Goldsworthy. James Murphy lived a lot of life before LCD Sound System, most of which no one really paid any attention to. Writer Lizzie Goodman makes a good point. When you start out making music that no one cares about, you are forced to forge a different relationship with your art. For instance, she gave the example of Jack White making music while he was still upholstering furniture. James Murphy basically spent 10 years of musical insignificance before LCD Sound System got big. There's some weathering that happens there, which in a lot of ways is advantageous. You go through the struggle of finding your sound and your confidence on your own. Then when you get to the masses, you're already fully formed and you don't need validation at all. Ryan Lee's insight into what was happening within the New York underground music scene in the early 2000s was so incredibly helpful. He notes in his 33 and a third book that when LCD Sound System was first active, New York was undergoing a musical renaissance at the same time as a bit of an identity crisis. Artists have always lived alongside a lot of history in New York City. For decades, New York-based bands have looked back on groundbreaking bands that got their start here and who were able to leave a permanent mark on a city of this size and stature, the Ramones, Lou Reed, Talking Heads. They played a lot of the same venues, and they pulled inspiration from the same defiant grittiness New York always had. It's a unique tradition that kept the sound alive, a sound only attainable within the hard-heartedness and chaos of the city. But by the early 2000s, social, economic, and cultural changes were taking place that caused a shift in how artists were inspired by their surroundings. And then 9-11 happened. 
Lees points out that a band like The Strokes, for example, were looking back and romanticizing the earlier era of the New York rock scene while working in a city traumatized and permanently changed. Neighborhoods shifted, rent increased. We'll get into a lot of this later on when we go through the tracks on Sound of Silver, but basically, the turn of the millennium, we started to see this major shift in rock records because of how the city was changing. Because James Murphy moved to New York in 1989, he was there for every major arc of the musical evolution of the city. The slow disappearance of the Lower East Side as LCD sound system was coming up, the rise of Williamsburg as the indie and hipster culture epicenter as they were hitting their stride, and eventually, the disappearance of that same Williamsburg. I think the tight-knit nature of that music scene is what made me feel, at first, a little fraudulent as a fan of LCD sound system's music because I wasn't there. I asked Jerry about his take on this. This feels like a band where it's so hyper-localized and it feels like it's such a deep like scene in that in that time frame that like either you were there or you weren't there. And that's the sort of like and it's not like a snooty thing really. It's not like it just feels a little bit exclusive, I guess. So how would how have you sort of how have you gotten past that feeling that I feel like, I don't know, anybody who wasn't in New York City in the early 2000s maybe doesn't have that same connection as somebody who was? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I don't, <clears throat> I don't, um, after having lived here for kind of, you know, the last you know, 12 or so years, the mute, like, you know, I hear the so- like so- certain songs of theirs and they they really like take you back to like kind of a place, whether it's like then after party at someone's apartment or, you know, uh, uh, kind of a show at a smaller bar or something like that. Like you, you definitely, there definitely is like a sense of place to all of their songs, but um, I have never felt like I, the, the sense of place that I was kind of picturing was as cool as whatever, you know, they were doing, because I think that's like, but I think that's kind of the purpose, right? I think, um, I, I think that one of the funny things about, about this band is like when I was, I was thinking a lot about is like, I think at the time, you know, James Murphy was thought of as kind of this like irony God, like his lyrics have this kind of detachment and everything is kind of like basically the outside looking in, even though he's the center of the party, he's able to like kind of take a step back and like look at himself in the situation and that like obviously comes through in the, in the tracks. But then you, I think listening to it, you know, 10 years later, there is actually like a lot of sincerity to it which I was actually kind of surprised to listen to because I think he is always kind of thought of as this like original, like ironic, you know, he's kind of the old, the older guy, you know, he's always, he's always referring to himself as like the dad looking guy. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like basically got to a point where he didn't really have to care anymore. So he was able to be that ironic, like detached DJ. But the reality is like a lot of his lyrics are actually like really sincere. And I think that's probably like why some of the songs, or a lot of the songs like mean so much to people. And, and people take them like very seriously, even, you know, you know, so far down the line. It wasn't until I really sat down and listened to the lyrics and read them along with the songs that I was like, oh, my God, like this guy is such a good songwriter. And you don't really expect that. I mean, usually the lyrics to a dancey kind of song like this are kind of empty. But you listen to his and they're just unbelievable. Yeah, I think it has a lot. To, like, I think I totally agree. I think that has a lot to do with a couple things. Like, one is he was kind of obsessed with. Uh, I mean, I, anything you've kind of hear about him or read about him, you know, his whole, his whole like 
upbringing was around like his whole thing was like he was like the board guy at the punk show like he'd been he you know knew every old record knew every old kind of like underground scene but didn't really like find a find his way until he started to kind of embrace like pop essentially and then pop via basically all you know djing as he was a dj in new york before before he started this band basically playing old dance records from the 70s that had hooks and samples that were part of like popular, you know, pop songs in the nineties. And it was like kind of basically the threat, his thread is very clear. And it's really interesting to see it go from basically him learning all of these kind of like pop sensibilities from, from his childhood. And then basically kind of, he sheds that punk sensibility and becomes basically one of the best, like kind of like dance producers there is. first ever song he releases is losing my edge which is basically just saying that like i've been to this party before i've seen like i've heard all of these songs before i've seen every trope i've seen every you know i i heard all your friends are trading in their guitars for turntables like i've seen it all before he, he you know that when you compare him to like the strokes or interpol for instance like he didn't get famous until he was like in his you know early to mid 30s which affords him this kind of detachment or he's able to say like I, you know, he has this kind of like self sense, like, I know I'm cool. I don't have to worry about it. I basically have like no, you know, no fucks to give whatsoever. I already know like what the coolest things are and how to channel those in and to make you guys like basically drop everything and dance. LCD Sound System formed in Brooklyn, releasing a number of additional singles under DFA Records, co-founded by James Murphy. Because Murphy handled most of the instrumentals and vocals in studio, the band called itself an LCD Sound System cover band when they'd go to play live. On their debut album, for instance, James Murphy is credited with most sounds, while each member of the band is credited with other sounds. They didn't really want to play shows or go on tour, They wanted to just play dance clubs. I don't know that they wanted to get super big. Or perhaps Murphy just assumed he was too old to be the new guy on the scene. James Murphy often ad-libbed lyrics in the studio, especially on their debut album, LCD Sound System, which came out in 2005. The album garnered a Grammy Award nomination for Best Electronic or Dance Album and the win for the song Daft Punk is Playing at My House. (laughs) 
show you the ropes. I got a bus and a trailer at my house. My house. I'll show you the ropes. Kids, show you the ropes. Sound of Silver is LCD Sound System's second studio album and my personal favorite. There's a lot of humor in this record. Humor, but also an underlying generalized anxiety. Anxiety about aging, losing a person close to you, or watching something you love change into something unrecognizable. And all the while, a driving dance beat that's impossible not to move to. It creates this amazing juxtaposition between poignant lyrics and a late night dance party. As Ryan Lees writes, 2007's Sound of Silver is cool on its own terms, the kind of album that makes you feel like a badass kid at the same time as it makes you feel like a jaded adult. With that, let's get into Sound of Silver, starting out with the first track, Get Innocuous. Something special about this album is its ability to sound old and new all at the same time. You get whiffs of David Byrne, David Bowie, and Morrissey in James Murphy's voice all throughout this album, in tandem with modern beats you've never heard before, morphing and changing before your eyes. Retro culture has always been part of the narrative of LCD Sound System, which we'll continue to explore throughout Sound of Silver. Get Innocuous is about losing your identity to the culture around you. Getting innocuous, boring, get normal. It's a jab at the normal people pursuing normal lives in a city that is now just normal. It's an amazing opening track that sets us up for the remainder of the record. By the way, this is a full album with ebbs and flows meant to listen to all in one sitting. Not a concept album necessarily, but you can tell by the track listing that James Murphy appreciates the original album format. Believed it. 
James Murphy admits to being super uncomfortable recording vocals in front of other people. He kicks everyone out of the studio first. And the making of Sound of Silver was an emotional time for Murphy. DJ Magazine says that the open-ended creativity afforded to him on the album became overwhelming at the time. But he was saved by Nike, weirdly. In 2007, Nike commissioned James Murphy to compose a long-form piece of music designed specifically for running. Jerry told me that the track, titled 4533, started out as an exclusive just for people who owned Nike's watch or something. But you can hear the track today on Spotify. A lot of instrumentals from Sound of Silver were used on that LP. When Murphy was recording the first half of Sound of Silver, he was ready to stop. But he tells DJ Magazine that spending just two months on the Nike project actually calmed him down. I'm not sure who Time to Get Away is about, but it does deal with a kind of loss that we all have to experience at one time or another. There are times where you realize you just have to cut someone out of your life. They may have such a toxic, negative effect on you that you just have to get away. Sometimes these people started out as friends. Regardless, removing someone from your life, that's a loss. Surely we process it in a different way than losing someone we didn't want to lose. But even if the loss is on our own terms, it's still losing a human in a world where human connection already seems like a foreign concept. Next up is North American Scum, a snarky jam that soundtracks the post 9-11 world in which LCD's sound system lived. We put our planes and our trains till we think we might die. 
hoverboard for America Where the buildings are old And you might have lots of mimes After 9-11, New York changed. I mean, our whole country changed, obviously. But New York felt the trauma closely and so deeply. While the neighborhoods of New York City were always changing and mutating, the trend amplified after the turn of the millennium. As Ryan Lees writes, the raw, seedy city that had given us the birth of hip-hop, Andy Warhol's factory, the Ramones, the New York Dolls, and Velvet Underground, that was beginning to fade away. It became cleaner, safer, family-friendly. Rent increased, neighborhoods gentrified. New York was no longer the city welcoming to the idea of scraping a life together as a creative person, the starving artist inspired by the city and fighting to be heard. Sound of Silver addresses this issue in a lot of ways, and North American Scum is the old New Yorker in a song, prideful, fast-paced, resilient. Appropriately, LCD was joined by some fellow North American scum on this song at the Madison Square Garden Show, members of Canadian-born Arcade Fire. New York's the greatest if you get someone to pay the rent. saw the cover art for Sound of Silver, I always assumed it was a camera or something. Again, only really knew this band online and their album art through thumbnails. But it's not a camera, it's the space helmet prop that James wears in the music video for North American Scum. The next song is Someone Great. This is my favorite song on Sound of Silver and a favorite for many LCD fans. It reminds me a lot of the Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime, which I love.
I cried when I watched James Murphy perform this song in the documentary. You can just tell from the way he sings it that he has lost someone truly great in his life. But the question is, who? If you go to the liner notes, the album's actually dedicated to his therapist who died, you know, kind of while he was recording it. It's that is such a big part of his like ethos is this like whole idea. Like I think I mentioned it earlier, the idea that he had been in therapy his entire life, but he didn't really be become himself until the first time he like took ecstasy, which I think is hilarious because it's, it's like you've had therapy your entire life and you didn't have your breakthrough until you uh, took ecstasy. What's the point of all the therapy? Wow. See, you know what I thought this song was about? I thought that he lost a child. Hmm. When he says, when he says, you're smaller than my wife imagined. Sure. Like that, that to me, like was the only line in the song where I was like, oh, like he's, they must have like had a miscarriage or something. Yeah, absolutely. So the, I actually, the first time I heard it, what, I actually thought it was about an affair. Mm. Um, and so I kind of assumed that someone great was like, maybe like the, someone great is gone. It was like kind of the end of his current relationship. And I couldn't really quite, I couldn't quite square it. But I think when he was basically saying that you're smaller than my wife, imagine, I thought it was like, I don't know. I, I, it took me a little while before I could kind of like figure that out. And then once I heard that it was about his therapist, I was, it kind of all clicked. I don't know. It, I think like all good art, it's. You can probably you can probably interpret you know you can interpret these things any way you want. I think that's how he writes his lyrics to begin with is yeah. for them not to be really explained. It's like all the all the best songwriters do that. Oh yeah. That's it saying it's like it's an artist's it's a it's a critic's responsibility to ask you what you mean and it's an artist's responsibility not to tell him. <laughs> I like that.
All My Friends is is definitely the kind of like it is the ultimate like after party song. Like there is no better song. Like it's there's no better song after the bar, after a concert. Like it is that it is potentially the best house party song that I know of, which is so funny because they have a bunch of other songs that are explicitly about house parties. But um, <laughs> in terms of in terms of kind of a winding down moment, that is there that is the best song. It's also like one of it all. It's an all-time great song, so I'm sure it hits people all over the place. You know the, the lyrics to all my friends are I, I, I you know they hit me so really strongly i mean in the first five years as fast as you can and then the next five years wondering where all your friends went like that is such a like realistic i mean it's, it's such a an apt kind of description of going from age 25 to 35 in new york city i get it's such a funny funny way to to put it and especially like thinking like <laughs> how different our life my life is than his um, yeah. Well, you said you moved to New York in 2008. Where were you before that? Uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. Okay, that's where you grew up. Yeah. Um, I'm a transplant as well. I grew up in Central Illinois and moved down to uh, down to Florida right after college. And that all my friends resonates with me because none of my friends live in Florida. At least they. I have a lot of friends here now. But when I first moved, all my high school friends and college friends, they all stayed like near Chicago and in the Midwest and like that I think that's the song resonates with me for that reason too because it's you know I didn't go off to be a rock star necessarily <laughs> and tour the world but yeah. you know I still I moved away from I moved away from everybody
I think when he wrote All My Friends, I think he was basically saying like he wanted to make essentially like a Joy Division record, which is like, you know, that kind of new wave, like post-punk. Like it's very like those are the, the, the influences are there. It's a kind of a direct line, which is probably why you hear the talking heads as well. I've been to his DJ sets before and like that's his whole his whole thing as a DJ set, you know, DJ set when he's spinning records, like instead of playing the kind of the the popular like rap song, he'll play the three records that it samples. And so you hear you like you hear a song you've never heard before, but you know why you like it, which is like, you know, that's the kind of secret to a lot of good music is the first <laughs> it's accessible. You don't know why, like the the, the kind of. The, the, the combination of those two things I think are so present and essentially definitely all of all of his records, but I think it really kind of like finds itself more in Sound of Silver. Vivem feels very disco. Extended instrumentals, a disco beat, and other disco elements like the cowbell. And then he genre hops over to this amazing 80s talking heads harmony moment at the chorus. LCD sound system just has this unique brand of nostalgia, where I can be internet savvy enough to hear and know specific disco and talking heads inspirations that I am too young to actually have been a part of. I think sometimes how cool it would have been to be a teenager in the 70s. The music, the clothes, everything. But how could I possibly know that? As Lee's writes, nostalgia can be looked at as a weakness, a signal of someone choosing not to engage with their own time and circumstances. He goes on to note that a teacher once pointed out that the millennial generation, which is my own, has less of its own identity than any preceding generation. And once I get past the initial, hey, it's not not true. We recycle a lot of ideas. I think of the clothes I wear, a lot are inspired by the 70s. I'm into vinyl. It's rare going to the movies and not seeing up on the marquee a live action version, remake, prequel, or sequel of a movie I remember watching as a kid. So it's this mix of cultures I was a part of and some that I wasn't. Nostalgia I earned versus nostalgia I didn't earn. Yet I have enough knowledge and unlimited music at my fingertips to feel like I could have. I feel a little bit like a character from the song Losing My Edge, just another one of those kids coming up from behind with borrowed nostalgia from the unremembered 80s.
goes on to defend our generation. Given his writing style and taste in music, I feel like I can assume that I can say our generation. Anyway, he makes a great point that nostalgia can be a powerful tool in the 21st century and doesn't necessarily need to be escapist. Borrowed nostalgia can help you sift through your own experiences by processing the experiences of others before you. A song like Us V Them, an album like Sound of Silver, is super of the moment at the same time that it suggests a legitimacy to the experience of the past. It's quite magical what we have here. I mean, Us, Us V Them is probably is one of the songs that I didn't love until I heard it live. And it, like so many other songs, like they they don't particularly like jam songs out. Like they, they play to track like fairly closely when they play live. But something about the, you know, there's he's like so like purely analog, right? Which I think is another thing we haven't really talked about is like how they're super analog and they're, but they're making like kind of dance music, which is so rare, especially kind of in the time since then. But you mean in like the way that they record it is all analog. Yeah. yeah. Like there's no pro tools or anything like that. It's all, I mean, I, here's a it's wild, wild speculation. I don't think they use pro tools, but they, <laughs> I would think that would be very like against their ethos, but North American scum and, and us be them are two songs that I didn't, I like, I liked, didn't love until I heard them live. And now are, you know, two of my favorite songs kind of of, of the entire LCD catalog, I would say. They're very like discotheque crowd, sure. crowd participation. I think that I like the, ex- I like the extended instrumentals on the record, but I think at a point in SV them, I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, this would definitely sound a lot better in person. Absolutely. Yeah. And you kind of think about like going, kind of going back to him, the presence, like, He's like a force of nature and like on these songs, you know, he's got that like tiny microphone, but he's every one of these songs, he's like bouncing around the stage. Like we'll oftentimes we'll like grab a drumstick and like play a cymbal. We'll like come over and like touch, you know, play a couple keys on the, on like the piano. Like he's very, it's very common. Um, and so it's, if you any, like any one of these like instrumental breaks, if you're like thinking about them live, you can assume that he's like not just standing there. He's usually like, around like tinkering with something in the middle of the show. Yeah. 
a little bit strange to me that he would care so much about what music journalists say. But I guess, I, I mean, I understand why he cares. I just don't know why that he would dedicate a whole song to it on this album. It kind of feels beneath the, a little bit beneath the whole ethos. Yes and no. I mean, I think, you know, it's, I've seen a lot of musicians basically argue that like, you don't even like, what's the point of like rock criticism or music criticism in like 2020? If any, you can basically listen to every album you want to with two clicks. Like, why do you need to go to Pitchfork to figure out what the net, what album you want to listen to or not? It's really funny to think about like the relationship between someone like James Murphy, who spent his entire life kind of like underground and, and things that were never ever covered to kind of quickly become the like blog media <laughs> darling. That's certainly not like something he probably ever expected or wanted when he or wanted, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's tough to, who knows? Um, he certainly wouldn't certainly wouldn't be able to afford to open restaurants in Williamsburg if he wasn't getting uh, getting the kind of like rock press That's that he was getting true. when he was. <laughs> As I listened to this song more and more after my talk with Jerry, I realized I don't think Watch the Tapes is just about his relationship with music media. What I'm starting to think is that it discusses some of the unsexy things about being a rock star, melded with the unsexy things about being a regular working adult. A lot of what he says applies to both scenarios. You say that you hate it, but that's how you made it. A lot of our jobs as adults might be soul crushing, but it affords that house we've always wanted. Or the line, it's not getting better, no, it's not getting better, man, it's just getting old. A lot like Murphy probably feels as an aging rock star. This is still probably my least favorite of the nine tracks on Sound of Silver, but I appreciate the double meaning of the lyrics. Or, I guess, I appreciate what I think they're about. Next up is the title track, Sound of Silver. The title has a bit of a double meaning. Essentially what happened was when his when he was born, his dad said being a parent is like permanent silver medal. Oh, like you yeah. have, uh, like you always have, you're always going to be second place. And like that was like kind of like where he, I think he wanted to basically like create an album that kind of like channeled, oh God, I don't know exactly where it is, but like that's like kind of where the the idea of like silver comes from. And I don't know exactly where, like how that like flows through to the actual album, but I do know that that is, that's where like the kind of like idea of like silver starts. Uh-huh. Um, and then they, uh, when they recorded the album, they basically like strung, they recorded in a, or he recorded it in a farm somewhere in upstate New York, but then he basically like decorated the entire studio with tinfoil and like silver to kind of turn it in. To a, from a farm to something that has like a disco sense to it. Did he do that just for his own aesthetics or f actually in the room that he recorded to try to create like 
more of a like tinny sort of sound. No, I think it was no, I think it was more for like the aesthetic okay. value. Sound of silver talk to me makes you want to feel like a teenager until you remember the feelings of a real live emotional teenager. Then you think again. Sound of silver talk to me makes you want to feel like a teenager until you remember the feelings of a real live emotional teenager. Then you think again. Sound of silver talk to me makes you want to feel like a teenager until you remember the feelings of a real live emotional teenager then you think again sound of silver talk to me makes you want to feel like a teenager sound of silver has only one line repeated throughout sound of silver talk to me makes you want to feel like a teenager until you remember the feelings of a real life emotional teenager then you think again the first time I heard this, I sort of assumed, yeah, why would you want to go back and feel those feelings again? That unnecessary high school drama, the heartbreak, maybe the bullying. Let's stick with adulthood and the knowledge that you can live past that stuff. But then he keeps repeating it. Sound of Silver, talk to me. What if he means something else? Think of all the good things that happened to you when you were a teenager. Maybe you fell in love for the first time. You heard a life-changing record for the first time. There were a lot of firsts that shaped who you became as a person. If you went back and revisited those, lived those out again, would they have the same impact on you as a jaded adult? James Murphy would rather not know. Lee's writes that there's a core binary in Sound of Silver, the conflict between feeling youth slip away versus feeling like a complete person and making peace with who you've become. It's about recognizing where you are in life, accepting it, and learning how to move forward. Somehow, Murphy has found a way to package the complex feelings of that in just one repeated lyric.
New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. Like a rat in a cage, pulling minimum wage. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. You're safer, and you're wasting my time. Our records all show you were filthy but fine. But they shuttered your stores when you opened the doors. It's it's a it's the perfect song. I think it's the perfect song for especially someone like me who's like a bit of a you know coming to it slightly later. You coming to, to New York slightly later and coming to like this idea of LCD sound system as like a, a symbol of like cool New York slightly later that, you know, it's a perfect embodiment of like, you know, the commercialization, like all of the things that cool people don't like about New York City anymore. I think this song also has like the one of the best, the best lines like of all time, the, the there's a ton of tw- there was a, there's a ton of twist, but we're fresh out of shout. Which is like such that's a so good. <laughs> such a good, you know, like, and I think that's like such a perfect. Uh, if you want to think about like the end of LC Sound System, he's like, yeah, well, we, you know, we can still make dance hits, but we we're kind of we've lost our ability to like shout about it. Just like you can you can apply that line to like so much. It's very, very accessible, very malleable. I Love You feels like it belongs in a musical, the impassioned solo moment by the main character standing alone on stage. In fact, funny enough, critics likened it to a Kermit the Frog rainbow connection moment, comparing the two voices. So LCD Sound System had Kermit himself star in their music video, which is really great if you haven't seen it. By the end, it's revealed that James Murphy is Kermit's puppeteer. While the rest of the album feels New York more so in its sound, New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down, says it outright in the lyrics. After a fast-paced album where he tries to sort out what's happened to his city and what's happened to him as a person, you kind of feel him finally throwing his hands up. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. It's a pretty self-aware statement, noticing how your own attitude has changed, feeling sad, 
partly because this place that you loved, that you identified so closely with, is changing. We're always evolving as people as we learn from our surroundings, as we read books, meet new people, we work to keep friendships strong, stay in love, and try to balance and time your own change with that of the person you promised to spend the rest of your life with. James Murphy and the city he loves are changing at different paces. He used to be proud to keep New York as a facet of his personality, a piece of him. But now, what does this mean? He could keep pace with the city and grow up and afford expensive housing and just lean into the change, but he's resistant. After all, that's not the New York he married, but she's still the one pool where he'd happily drown. It's complicated. Sound of Silver went on to be nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Electronic or Dance Album and was met with critical praise. It had touched everyone in a way they didn't expect. The album was nostalgic for an old New York, one that many fans listening never had a relationship with in the first place. But it was also nostalgic for youth, grappling with aging, mourning the loss of a friend. It felt like we feel. Sound of Silver was and still is witty and unflinchingly cool. It's there if and when you need it, but it won't work too hard to win your affection. LCD Sound System released their third studio album, This Is Happening, in 2010 to great critical acclaim. It seemed as though LCD Sound System was at its peak. February 2011, LCD Sound System abruptly announced on its website that it would be playing its final show on April 2nd at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Fans, dumbfounded but trusting that James Murphy wasn't kidding around, sprinted for tickets. It sold out immediately. Wanting as many of their fans to join in the celebration as possible, LCD announced they'd be playing four warm-up shows at New York's Terminal 5. But the show at MSG would be the final one, the last time anyone would ever see LCD Sound System play live. So they blew it out of the water.
There were lights, balloons, a giant disco ball, a massive dance party lining every inch of Madison Square Garden. Almost four hours of music. It was a funeral for the ages. And just like that, LCD sound system was over. Over the next few years, James Murphy was no recluse. He still DJed all the time. He scored films for Noah Baumbach. He worked on a guerrilla song with Damon Albarn and Andre 3000, and he produced Arcade Fire's Reflector, which released in 2013. He was even slated to be a producer for David Bowie's Black Star, but it fell through. You can still hear him play percussion on that album, though. In this time, Murphy also started that wine bar in Williamsburg that Jerry mentioned, The Four Horsemen. LCD's live album of the last show at Madison Square Garden, The Long Goodbye, released in 2011. Then in 2012, we got Shut Up and Play the Hits, the film documenting LCD's last show and the day after for James Murphy. I loved this documentary, especially because they used a face-to-face interview between James Murphy and writer Chuck Klosterman to drive the story. You got to see a ton of the live performance from that night at MSG, including performances with Arcade Fire and Reggie Watts, interspersed with moments from the morning after. Murphy gets up out of bed, takes his dog out, sits around for a bit, makes some coffee. Honestly, it looked like a lot of my mornings, except I don't sell out Madison Square Garden the night before. You get this sense in the film that he immediately regrets that that was the last time, that he's walking away from a good thing too soon. You can tell watching the live performance that they're all having such a great time. I felt myself smiling a lot watching them play. But seeing Murphy do all the next day stuff, all the normal stuff you do when you're not in a world-renowned dance punk group, that's what makes Shut Up and Play the Hits so special. I asked Jerry what his thoughts were on the documentary, and I was a little surprised to hear the answer. The funny thing is I've never actually seen that documentary. So I my my whole thing was... That, that like last concert has always been like really, I've always had a really negative view of that show because I couldn't get tickets to it. I lived in New York City. I was in college, but I, you know, obviously I didn't get tickets in the, in the, on the, in the drawing, you know, how they do tickets and I couldn't afford to buy them on the secondary market. So I went, so they basically, they originally, the plan was they were just going to play one show at Madison Square Garden. And then the demand was so overwhelming for that. They did a week of run of lead up shows at another venue in New York called Terminal 5. I went to one of the shows at Terminal 5. And so I was like, kind of like, all right, this is going to be my last time ever seeing them. Being at the Madison Square Garden, you know, everybody says that's like the best show they've ever been to. And so I was always like kind of chapped that I didn't get a, that I wasn't able to go to it. Um, and so like I watching that documentary would have just been like a it would have pissed me off. So I never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of 2015, whispers of an LCD sound system reunion started going around. Then that Christmas, the band released its first single in five years, Christmas Will Break Your Heart. Still 
then at the beginning of 2016, it was announced that LCD Sound System would not only be reuniting, but would also appear at a number of major music festivals all year, and they'd be coming out with a new album by 2017. As you can imagine, this news was met with mixed reactions from critics and longtime fans. Some fans felt betrayed. They had just attended the funeral for this band. They said the long goodbye already. Now it's like nothing happened? On DFA's website, Murphy wrote a letter explaining the reason for the reunion. He still had a lot of music in his head, and he wanted to work on it with friends from LCD, only if they wanted to. And they did. The reasoning is sound. I just think in our age of nostalgia and reunion tours and remakes and all that, maybe their leaving right at the peak of their fame felt unique and rare. Fans appreciated that LCD Sound System said goodbye in an unspoiled moment of perfection. Everything has to end sometime, right? Every band has to stop touring. Every TV show has to have a final season. Every good thing comes to a close. But it's a matter of when that happens. Maybe LCD Sound System was that rare TV show that stops at the perfect time, when the characters have all fully developed, the story comes to a natural close, right before the showrunners run out of ideas. Certainly, James Murphy had seemed like someone who didn't dwell on the past. So I think fans just questioned his motives for bringing everything back to life after making a huge deal about saying goodbye. I asked Jerry for his take on this as a longtime LCD fan. Where was his head at when he learned this band was reuniting? I, I've i been following, I've been paying a, like really close attention to kind of all of the murmurs on the internet. I had a, basically three or four years later everyone kind of knew they were coming back and whether or not they would, it would be under a new set of shows, whether, cause there was a, a, a music venue opening in Brooklyn that I believe he has some relationship with. And like, that was when I kind of first got a sense like, okay, Oh, okay. They're not actually done. He's going to get the itch. <laughs> and sure enough, they kind of like came back and I was actually at their first show back in Brooklyn. So I basically had, I, I really only missed one LCD sound system show. I saw the second to last show and then I saw their first show back. So I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Not uh, a lot of lost time there. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and to your question, like I was, I was thrilled. Like I know a lot of people and I've actually talked to a lot of people at shows, like people who are maybe a little bit older than me who were kind of like chapped about it. And, you know, it's like, I think people felt, it's, it's a weird thing, right? Part of you wants to be like, oh, they kind of abused the, the trust. We had the, we thought we had this like kind of like fleeting moment. But then there's also this idea. It's like, oh, well, we get more LCD sound system music and I get to go to more LCD sound system shows. Right, right. That's awesome. I, I, I was like, because I didn't get to go to the last show, I was so pumped. I was thrilled. And I also got to introduce like more people who had never been to any of their shows. I got to bring a lot of people with me. In 2016, LCD Sound System went on their massive world tour that began with the Webster Hall shows Jerry went to and included appearances at Austin City Limits, Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza, and a headlining spot at Coachella. LCD Sound System released American Dream in 2017, which went on to be nominated for Best Alternative Music Album at the Grammy Awards. Their song, Tonight, won the Grammy for Best Dance Recording. Everybody sings the same song. It goes tonight, 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 tonight. I never realized these artists thought so much about dying. But truth be told, we all have the same end. Could make you cry, 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 cry. But I'm telling you, 
like I, when I think of like LC sounds, I'm like they are the mo- like the epitome of like a New York City band. And the, and the funny thing is like that doesn't really even mean anything anymore because I think that when people originally thought of the Ramones or or someone or Velvet Underground or whatever is like the epitome of a New York City band. And like now that New York City isn't so different than anywhere else in the country, especially like the idea of New York City as a place is kind of like been fully commercialized and sold to a lot of places in the world. Something as like embodying New York City, like you can just like hear their sound, you hear the sound of New York City within their music. LCD Sound is probably one of the last bands that will be able to do that for me. I mean, obviously you hear that in a lot of, of hip hop, but in kind of rock guitar music, you don't, you certainly don't hear New York anymore in a lot of music. Just and I don't know if that's ever really going to be possible again, just because of how the city has evolved, you know. Or it will become a different sound now than. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think you know it, it, the sound definitely still exists. Like I said, like within hip hop, you still hear hear it all the mm-hmm. time, and probably within within um, Latin music and dance music are two genres that I. I know that a lot of people say that they hear New York City in for sure. Um, but in terms of kind of like rock music, I think that it's been some time since I've I've heard a new rock band that I was like, oh, yeah, that like really sounds like Lower Manhattan or like it really sounds like, you know, like a Brooklyn like warehouse or whatever. Like you just don't know if you I just don't know if you hear that so much anymore and if you ever will. Yeah. Um, certainly not like in this in this aesthetic. I don't know if there's an appetite to like try to sound like a cool New York band anymore. I just like, I think that like I was saying, like the, the idea of like quote New York city has been so kind of like over commercialized and sold so many times that if you're like a young person trying to figure out like what's cool and music, you're so much better off and so much, you're going to be more, so much more successful and authentic, like channeling exactly like where you grew up, what you know, as a, you know, as opposed to like moving to New York city and trying to like, be that um i just don't i don't i'm not going to speak for what it means to be like 19 because i don't know any 19 year olds but (laughs) (laughs) my guess is like you're so if you're from doesn't matter where you're from the united states like you're better off trying to sound like what's cool there or what's cool that you've heard on the internet than trying to sound like um the velvet underground or sound like the talking heads or whatever was cool at cbgb or whatever like that just that idea is like doesn't even present does it will does not it will not resonate with like your peer group you know near if you think about the strokes and that kind of like meet me in the bathroom era of music like how quickly that kind of faded from you know faded into obscurity it was really only a thing for three or three to five years before it kind of became really watered down um i don't know how much value there is in like trying to like have a new york city sound or like a chicago sound or la like i think more creative stuff will come from from people kind of like producing and kind of learning about music on the internet than they will if, uh, if they're trying to like focus on a location. Listening to LCD Sound System so much over the past few months and diving into James Murphy's lyrics and everything, it's all given me so much more of an appreciation for this band. 
I was absolutely not expecting to get as emotional as I have over Sound of Silver, and I no longer think of them as just good party music. LCD Sound System's music makes me reflect, makes me want to text my faraway friends and make plans to visit. This is music that I get to listen to with my whole being. Both physically and emotionally, it has me searching. And it makes all my anxiety and emotion feel more like it's aligned with a universal experience and less like something I have to tackle alone. What James Murphy has created here is a rare offering, a perfect blend of irony and earnestness, just how life should be. Thank you, as always, for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating and review. If you have an album or a topic you'd like to hear on the podcast, send me a DM over at Radio Gaga Podcast on Instagram or head over to the contact page at RadioGagaPodcast.com. As you know, I'm currently releasing episodes every two weeks while I take my music history course, but I hate making you wait because I'm pretty excited for this next one. I'm shining, everybody gonna shine yeah, I was born like this, don't even gotta try you know. I like shot a nigga better over time They just say I'm not the baddest bitch you like In our next episode, we're jumping into a brand new artist that is having herself a year. Grammy winner Lizzo is an incredible entertainer who has skyrocketed in popularity since the release of her third studio album, Cause I Love You, in 2019. We'll look at her background and her impact on pop music right now. Listen to Cause I Love You by Lizzo, and I'll see you back here next time. Hold up, baby, please don't make me have to take your bitch. Shit. Oh, I'm shining, everybody.